encourage you to stand with me for just a moment. Ezra chapter number 3. And we'll stand together as we read the, the text of the scriptures this morning. And we'll have you be seated and we'll jump right in. Ezra chapter number 3. Ezra is one of those books where there are things happening that... Uh, overlap with other portions of scripture and if you're not familiar with the bible uh, when you're reading Haggai when you're reading Zechariah and even parts of Nehemiah you'll read some things that overlap and uh, it's important to know that we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit this morning but um, before I jump into the text let me just say that song was a blessing that was good uh, he's always 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 been faithful to me Ezra chapter 3 uh, starting in verse number one. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses the man of God, I recently commented to some of my friends here about the fact that it's really curious to me, I find it curious that right as our church is about to embark on some kind of building endeavor of some kind, uh, that in my personal by reading, I'm, I'm in Ezra and Nehemiah. And if you know anything about the, the Old Testament, those books have a lot to do with building or rebuilding something for the Lord. In the book of Ezra, you, you're, you're really talking about re, the rebuilding of the house of God. And we'll talk about why they had to rebuild what was already there and established. Look at verse 3. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. Uh, look down, if you would, at verse uh, number 8. Now in the second year of their coming out of the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, let me, just, let me just say this, when it says they're coming to the house of God, the house of God is not built yet. They are standing on the ruins of the house of God. They're standing on the place where God used to do stuff. And, and, and they're wondering, can God do stuff again? <laughs> and let me just say this, God is a great recycler. He likes to take what the world considers trash and does something great with it. Amen? Amen. God's good at that. He can do that. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 8. Uh, and the remnant of, the, of their brethren, the, the priests and Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Yeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God. That's what our desire as a church and as individuals should be, to move forward the work of the house of the Lord. Uh, look what it says here in verse number 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This, to me, sounds like progress. Would you guys agree? There was nothing there, and now they're pouring the foundation. This is where we all get excited, and it looks that way, but then look at verse number 12. What's the first word in verse 12? Yeah. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. Sounds like a little bit of confusion going on there. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Uh, I, I want to talk about what looking back to the past can do to the work of God today. And I want to be very clear with you. There's a time to thank God for what he's done. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But I want to tell you, looking back and living in the past can damage what God's trying to do today. And our, our job as Christians is to move forward for Jesus Christ until we hear that trumpet blow. Amen. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Brother Millar, thanks for being here. Brother, if you'd open this up. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Now, if you're not familiar with your Bible, let me give you a little bit of historical context for what's going on. The Jews are God's chosen people. And and the oracles of God, the scriptures were committed to them, and the house of God, the place where God would in the Old Testament come down and physically meet with his people, that was committed to their nation. And God said, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you into your promised land. I'm going to give you blessings in the land. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to rain down the blessings from heaven. I'll take care of you. I'll look out for you. I will be your protector. I'll be your father. I'll be your God. As long as you worship me and you hold to my commandments and you follow my word. But if you don't do that, I will spew you out of the land. Those are God's words. I'll take you out of your land of promise. You will lose your place. You will lose your rewards. You will lose your your temple. You'll lose everything. You'll still be who you are, but without all of my blessings. See, so what happens? Israel goes and they turn their back on God. And God allows them to go into captivity to Babylon. And as they they go away, many of them think we'll never come back to our land. God will never allow us to restore what was once great about our identity. And and, and as a matter of fact, the Old Testament says that God would send his prophets and his messengers, but they, they mocked those messengers and they despised God's words. Let me get this out of the way right now. If you're saved today, there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. But you can lose about everything else as a Christian. You can lose your joy. You can lose your testimony. You can lose God's blessings. Let me tell you right now, I never wanted to, as a church, get to a place where when someone gets saved, we're like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Happens all the time around here. You don't want God's hand off this church. Man, you want to appreciate the blessings of God. And and so the people of Israel, they kind of took God for granted, if you will. They just said, well, he's always going to be there, and we can just get it right later on. And and so what God does is he he takes them from their land and displaces them, and in their minds, they're never going to come back, and God will never restore this house where he once met with us. The Bible says in Psalms, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We, we hang our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mercy. Saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You know what they're saying in so many words in the book of Psalms? They're saying, how can we enjoy life? We have blown it. We understand that. How can we get back to where God will bless us again? Can I say it like this? Those people, when they got there, those older people, you know what they said? We remember when the house was great. We remember how amazing it was the first time. We remember, you know what they were basically dealing with? Nostalgia. You know what God had done miraculously? He brought them back to their land. He miraculously moved in the hearts of the kings around them. Some of the very people that had taken them captive generations later, some of those kings turned around and said, you know what? Not only does God want you to go back to your land, I will finance it. I will provide the material for it. You just have to go. God did all of that supernaturally for them, and God miraculously brought them back to their place. And yet, when their foundation of that house is being laid, you know what some of those people said? Well, it's not as good as the first one. You know what happens as a Christian if you're not careful? You will get so stuck in the past that you will not be able to see what God's trying to do in your life today. He is not the I was that I was. He's the I am that I am. And God wants to work in the present. Listen, I'm thankful I can look back at milestones of my life. I remember getting saved. I remember uh, what it was like getting baptized. I I remember getting the call of God in my life to be a preacher. I remember going to Bible school. I remember a lot of tests of faith. And I look back and I can smile on that. But that's back then. (laughs) I, I can't live on that anymore. That was the past. God is working today. And he wants me to be a part of that. 
You know what a lot of Christians do? They look to the past. Let me tell you something. When I came off the mission field, you know what I thought? God's done with me. God can't use me. I'm never going to be, be a mountain anything for God. Might as well just eat worms and die. I mean, you say, well, that's stupid, preacher. Well, that's what happens in your mind when you get stuck in the past. Let me just say this much, guys. I'm thankful for God that has selective memory. Now, if you're married, you might think selective memory is a different kind of thing, okay? Selective memory, uh, gentlemen, is kind of like you say something, and she goes, you know what? I remember you say something about, you know, something in the past, and she goes, oh, yeah? I remember you said this and this on August 22nd, Thursday night in 1975. And you're like, how does she remember that terrible incident? Why, why don't you remember all the nice stuff? That's selective memory. But I'm talking about a different kind of selective memory with God. You know what God does? God says, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. <laughs> you say, well, thank God that he does that. That's not something that's easy for us to do. It's easy for me to remember when someone does something that hurts me and to hold on to that and to hold on that grudge and to hold on that bitterness. Why? Because it just makes me feel better about me being stuck where I am and rather than me taking accountability and looking in the mirror saying, Adrian, you're the problem. You're not letting go of the past. I can blame somebody else. You got a lot of Christians living that way today. I mean, literally, Christians say, saved, born-again believers, blood-bought, they believe the Bible, and they believe from cover to cover, including the maps. I believe everything that's in there. And yet, when it comes to their marriage, you know why their marriage can't move ahead? Because they're holding on to the past. You know why your kids won't change? Because you're holding on to the past. You know why some churches never, ever move forward? Because you're going, we remember when. Well, that's back then. (laughs) You can't keep going back to that. At some point, you got to go, I want God to use me today. Now, Miss Anita, I I sent a picture to your son recently, to Isaac, from a couple years ago. And uh, (laughs) you say, why are you picking on Isaac? Because he's not here to defend himself. That's what good Baptists do, eh, man. We talk about people when they're not there, right? Oh, now you're going to get real quiet on me? Oh, Okay. So, so, so I sent this picture to Isaac, and I said, hey, Isaac, guess what? I'm going to post this all over the internet. And you know what he said? He said, preacher, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind <laughs> and reaching for it. Literally, that's what he took, the copy and pasted that verse right in the text message. We went back and forth for a while, had a good time. But you know what I love about that? That's the right response when your past creeps up and you're tempted to go back there and live there rather than move on from where you're at right now. God does not want you staying stagnant this year. He wants you to grow. And by the way, if you're saved and God has brought you to this church, he wants you to get plugged in. But you know what a lot of you will do? You will use the excuse of the past and where you've been, how you messed up, and God can't use me. And you're using that and saying, God, I want to move forward. These people looked at what was going on. You know what they said? Well, it won't be like it was. Not as good as the first time. Can I just say this? Sometimes God wants to do something new. Sometimes God wants to change some things in your life. And maybe it doesn't need to be like the first time. The only thing that needs to stay the same is that you you understand how you got saved, amen? But you are a work in progress, and God should be working in your life every single day. (laughs) And God wants to move forward the work of God in your life. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for a week or 10 years. God's doing a work there. And it doesn't matter if you're 50 or 15. God wants you to be involved in his work. Listen, the moment you got saved, he began a good work in you. And he's not done yet. <laughs> you know what happens to a lot of Christians? They plateau. Just like people do in physical fitness. They go, well, I'm kind of comfortable here. And God's going, no, no, no. I, I want to take you a little bit further. Yeah, but I'm good here. And look what I did. And look what we've done. And look what I've accomplished. And God's like, yeah, yeah. Or, or you might just go, God, I can't because of. And the Lord's like, hey, that's back there. Can, can we please move? You know, I, 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 <laughs> I've given this. I told the story before. And the first time I got my permit to drive. My dad put me in his 1987 Dodge Caravan. <laughs> Boy, you want, you want to get the girls, gentlemen, you get a 1987 Dodge Caravan. <laughs> chick magnet, let me tell you. And some of you go, I can't believe he said chick. Oh, don't stick around, you get offended at something else. And I'm, I'm, I remember driving down 
down there. Uh, I think that was uh, right next to Widefield Park, for those that know where that is. Right? You remember that, Whitefield Park? And I don't remember what that street was, but I'm coming back from the DMV there in security and coming up the hill, and, and, and there's Whitefield Park. That's my turn. That's where I'm supposed to turn. And, and you know what I did? I kept looking in the rearview mirror. And my dad says, ¿Qué tu hace? ¿Qué tu hace? What are you doing? What are you doing, Brother Elvin? ¿Qué tu I'm like, no, dad, is this guy behind me, he's riding my tail. Don't look at him. You don't look at him. Dad, but I'm, I'm afraid he's going to hit me. But dad, I'm not sure. And he's, my dad's trying to tell me, stop what you're doing. You know what I did? I took that turn almost going 20 miles an hour. It is a miracle I didn't flip on my first car ride driving with my permit. Do you know why I did that? Because I was so concerned about what was behind me. My dad was like, listen, you're not responsible for what is back there. You need to look ahead. <laughs> and you know what's the problem with a lot of Christians is they're looking back there and God the Father's going, hey, quit looking. Hey, you're going to make a mess. Hey, you're going to flip the car over. Stop what you're doing. Look ahead. Listen, the window in front of you is this big. The rear view mirrors this. There's a reason for that. God does not want you spending your entire life looking behind you. Think about this. You know one of the biggest blessings of heaven? I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Who's looking forward to that day? And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. (laughs) One of the greatest blessings about heaven is I won't remember all the garbage that went on down here. But think about this. You know what hell is like? That rich man dies and goes to hell. You know, and he says, Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus that he, he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue? And what does Father Abraham say? He says, Son, remember. You know, let me just say this, that if you're saved, you won't experience that, but you know what some of you say people are doing? It's almost like you want to experience a little bit of hell on this earth by constantly remembering things that God wants you to forget. And let me say this, if God can forget it and he's perfect and he's righteous and he's holy, you need to let some things go. The Lord says this, remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Thing. Look at our passage at verse number eight. Can I, can I point out to you that, that God, God's desire is for us to be a part of his work? And look at the end of that verse, to set forward, that means moving ahead, the work of the house of the Lord. Listen, you know what's amazing is that God started a work in you the moment you got saved. And then what God says over there, Paul says this, we are laborers together with God. It's not just that I'm serving God. I'm doing what I'm doing for God. I get to do it with him. (laughs) But you know, one of the requirements for that, from the Lord's standpoint, is that I learn to quit looking behind me. Uh, Someone on Wednesday night said, "Uh, Preacher, Bible questions and answers time. That that place over there in the Gospels where it says, let the dead bury the dead. What does that mean? You know what it means in a nutshell? Let go of the past because the past is death. You want to do something for God, you got to let it go. You need to learn to move forward. And here in this passage, what you have is you've got one group that's excited about what God is doing. And you've got another part of that group with the same, they're all supposed to be united. They're all supposed to be the people of God. You got one part that's excited about the work of God. You got one part that's weeping and saying, it's just not like it used to be. It's just never going to be the same. I remember when. Now look, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the older I get, the more I feel that way as, as, a, as a person in society. I feel like, man, I remember the good old days. Remember Walkmans? Remember Walkmans? Right? Remember that? And remember when the phone was stuck to the wall with a cord? And you had to remember someone's phone number? Does anybody remember when they started call waiting? I know you do. You remember call waiting? Don't look yet. Nod your head. You know what I'm talking about. Call waiting was this amazing. You guys know what it is now, but for us, it was like <gasps> mind-blowing technology. Caller ID, I can see who's calling me. Amen. Amen. Now when the preacher calls, I can go delete. <laughs> Ignore. Right? I mean, that was, that was revolutionary. You can know who's calling you. I mean, listen, half of our lives we heard beep, 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 beep. You young people don't even know what that is. That's a busy signal. <laughs> it means you cannot get through the person you want to talk to. 
Now it just rings. It at least gives you the false impression that someone cares and that they will answer your call. I, I, I mean, listen, the longer I live, the more I feel nostalgic about the old days. And I remember a, taking a lunch pail to school. Who remembers that? Oh, man, there was no, there was no free lunch. What do you mean free lunch? I get free lunch at school. I, 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 had a, I had a Transformers lunch pail. It was the best. I am Optimus Prime. You know, I, was, I, I love that thing. I, I look back at my I, nostalgia. I can see things from the 80s and the 90s. Anybody remember the clear, transparent phone that had all the colors inside? All right. Every teenage girl from the 90s should raise their hand and say amen. All right. Miss Anita, your mom's right there. She remembers hours you spent on that phone. Amen. <laughs> So, so, so what I'm, when I get it, it's natural to go, oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember when. That's natural. But if you're saved, can I say this? You can't live there. You can't live there. God allows us to travel every once in a while back and go, I thank God for that. But here's where I'm at. I've met many, so many Christians that they just, they can't get over where they've been. And so they're kind of just stuck. And let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with get, taking a glance back if it's a, a, a Thanksgiving memory. There's nothing wrong with that. But there are certain places in your life that you should not look back. Remember Lot's wife. She was rendered useless by turning back when God said, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Don't look back. But just one more look. That one more look changed her life forever. <laughs> Looking back, let me say this, can distort your value system. Look, if you would, at verse number 10. They're laying the foundation of the temple. The priests are there. Man, they've got the songs going. They've got everything going on. And you say, what ends up happening? Well, that one part of the group says, you know what? We're going to weep. Well, why are you weeping? Everybody else is excited. Well, we're weeping because we just don't see this as the same value as the Lord does. You know what the problem is? The Bible says, despite, and Zechariah and Haggai, by the way, are contemporaries of what's going on in Ezra. You know what you find in Zechariah? Despise not the day of small things. Secular uh, 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 book writers will talk about how if you can just make 1% of a gain today and you do that 1% gain tomorrow and you do that again tomorrow, lost people get that when it comes to business and yet Christians are like, oh, well, I'm just where I'm at. And you know what that comes from? A complacency that will kill you spiritually. And, And what God is trying to do is he's trying to show you, hey, your value system is not the same as mine. Remember when, when the, the five loaves and the two fishes, and what does Andrew say? But what are they among so many? You know what the Lord said? That's all I need. That's of great value to me because I can do something with that. Who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, it says in Zechariah. You know the song in the harvest field, now ripen, there's a work for all to do. Hark. The master's voice is calling to the harvest, calling you. You. You know what Christians do? They go, yep, he's calling someone. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm glad Joe's here to hear this message. He needed this one. Like, no, no, he's, he's calling you. And you, and you, and if you're a born-again child of God, he's calling you into the harvest. And it's your responsibility to say, okay, well, uh, well uh, you know, hey, I got this thing in the past. I got, I got my family here, and I got this, and I got that. And the Lord's going, yeah, but let that go. I got something better for you. Yeah, but it's, maybe it won't be like it was. And God's going, yeah, but that's the problem. Your value system is messed up. You know the story of the widow woman coming and giving her offering to the Lord, and the disciples watch it with the Lord. And the Lord goes, she gave more than everybody else. I guarantee you there were people that thought, Does the Lord need to go back to math class? Maybe his carpentry didn't contain enough math. He needs to understand. They gave more. No, the Lord's looking at it. He's going, my value system is different than yours. You know know how I know what someone's value system is? Where do you put your money? Where do you put your time? That's it. Absolutely. You guys got weird because I said money, 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 money. I I mean, the truth is, if if I can know where, where where my money and my time goes, Anyone, especially the Lord himself, can go, that's what you love and that's what you value. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Look, if you would, with me in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 14. 
Can I illustrate it with some scripture here? God is bringing the people out of the people of Israel out of Egypt, and there's a mixed multitude there, and there's a lesson in that. There's some people that if you're trying to work, move ahead for the Lord, you just can't take them with you. You might remember the story of Abraham and Lot. It wasn't until Abraham and Lot separated that God talked to Abraham once again. Listen to me very carefully. Some of you are trying to move ahead in the Christian life, and you're not getting real far because of who you're trying to bring with you. You go, well, I'm supposed to minister to people and lead people to Christ. Yes, yes, absolutely. But once you have determined that someone does not want to move forward on your journey with the Lord, you may have to make a hard decision and go, Lord, I love you more than I love them. And, and so Abraham goes, all right, me and Lot, we're going to go separate ways. Well, well, Israel comes out of Egypt, but they bring a mixed multitude with them. They bring people whose value system is not the same as the Lord's. Look at Numbers chapter 14. I'm sorry, Numbers 11, forgive me. Numbers chapter 11, go back a little bit to the left. Numbers 11, verse number four. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, look what they said, who shall give us flesh to eat? Well, who's been taking care of you the whole time? Look at the next two words. We remember. You know what's really weird about your imagination and your memory? You tend to paint things a certain way depending on the situation to justify what you want to do and not do. Like, oh man, we had melons and leeks and onions. First off, like imagine the breath, the mixing of all those things. You know, we loved Egypt. Whoa. <laughs> you know, we, we remember how good it was. You guys were slaves. You were beaten daily. Do you not remember that? Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, it was bad, but, but I mean, we had food. Yeah, but your back's all bloody from that still, and you can't walk, and you're kind of doing this number because of the beatings you took back then. You actually want to go back to that? Oh, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, we had, are you out of your mind? Do you know what happens if you're not careful as a Christian? I, I've watched this. One of the most tragic things as a pastor to watch is to watch someone get saved, watch them begin to grow as a disciple. They come up to a certain area in their Christian life that they see as a, a milestone where God can take them and move them beyond where they've been. And because they know it's going to cost them something, they say, you know what? I remember how good it was back then. I'll just go back. You know what's interesting? They say here, but now. Look what it says here. We remember the fish. We remember that, you know, we'd eat in Egypt. Look at this, freely. The cucumbers, you didn't eat anything freely. You were beaten, man. You were a servant. You were a slave. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But look at the next two words. But now. Oh, our soul is dried away. Oh, following God is just so hard. Really. Like, I'm going to be real as gracious as I can, whatever that you go through in confrontation and struggle as a believer, can I say this? It's not worse than going to hell. And it's not worse than having a purposeless life as as, as being lost without hope and without God in this world. But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all. (laughs) All we got around here is manna. Manna for breakfast and manna for lunch and manna for. Uh, when I was a kid, I was, I was, I mean, I was a kid that was ungrateful as well. I remember my dad making rice and beans and pork, and rice and beans and chicken, and rice and beans and mafungo, and rice and. It was always rice and beans and some. And so as a kid, I'm like, Dad, how come we can't just be like the other American kids and have hot dogs? <laughs> you know, and now you know what I want? I want rice and beans. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> My dad's going to be here next week, and hallelujah, he's going to get a pot. And he's a, not this kind of pot, the other pot, the pot you put, and he's going to make rice and beans. Thank God, hallelujah. You say, why? Because I, I, I kind of realized, man, I had it good. <laughs> you know what the Israelites said? All we got is this manna. You mean supernatural food that came down from heaven? <laughs> and you're complaining about that? Over in the book of Psalms, you know what they call manna? They, the, the psalmist calls it angel's food. You are eating something that God sent down supernaturally, and you're saying your soul is right away? I'll tell you what the problem is. Your memory's not serving you correctly. 
and your value system is off. That's why some people go, I just can't make it to church. No, no, you can. Your value system is off. Well, I just could never, you know, be a public witness for Jesus and, you know, kind of, no, no, I'm, I'm shy. You just don't know me, Pastor. I'm not loud like you. Maybe not. Maybe not. But can I say this? That does not exclude you from doing what God said you can do. And if the problem is your value system is off. What you value more is how you feel about you than people going to hell. You know what the problem is? You're looking back. You're not looking forward. Our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this man before our eyes. You know what living in the past does? It glorifies what was and minimizes what God is doing today. And it, it, it just skews your value system. Can I, can I point out something else? Look at Ezra chapter number three. Ezra chapter three. You know what we came to do this morning? You know, I, I came to hear the word of God. I came to get encouraged. I came to get whatever. Part of what our goal as believers to gather together is to worship the Lord. You say, why? Because we are literally breathing right now and your heart is pumping and your lungs are moving without you thinking about it at once. And all that's happening for God's pleasure. You mean to tell me I exist for someone else's pleasure? Yes. Not another human beings, but God's. <laughs> That's why you're here right now. And so we gather together for the purpose of worship. You say, why? Because worship gets our minds off of ourselves and onto the object of what should be our faith. Listen, yesterday at this funeral, I have to tell you, I, I watched Miss Becky Campbell come up, and, and listen, I know how this stuff goes. I know there's hard days ahead. I understand when all the crowds are gone and, and the funeral's over and everybody goes back to their life, and you're the widow and you're dealing with that, 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 that burden. I understand not every day's me hunky-dory, but I do appreciate that she got up there, and you know what she said? I want to make this about Jesus Christ because my husband's life was about Jesus Christ. You know what that is? That's worship. There was no song at that point, but that woman getting up there, that was true worship. Can I point something out? Look here, if you would, at Ezra chapter 3. Look at verse number 10. The priests are there. They've got the trumpets. They've got cymbals. You know what they're there to do? To praise the Lord. Look at verse 11. They sang. And, and as they sang, can I, can I point out, they gave thanks, and here's what they said. They said, he is good. Is God not good? <laughs> And he said, his mercy endureth forever. You know why they're saying that? Because it was God's mercy that they were even standing there for the, the pouring again of that foundation, the, the rebuilding of that temple. Their, their, their presence in that moment was God's example of mercy. They did not deserve to be there. Guys, can I say it like this? We don't deserve this right now ourselves. We don't deserve to have God's perfect word. We don't deserve to have an opportunity to be involved in ministry. We don't deserve, it's almost like people come to church and like, all right, God, here I am. Lord, where's the fanfare? Where's the parade? And the Lord's like, no, no, it's kind of the other way around. Like, like the worship, we kind of got it backwards. Huh? It, 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 no, you shouldn't clap because I came to church. I'm glad you're here, but no one should clap. Pastor, we're just so glad you're here. No one ever does that. How come you guys don't do that, huh? <laughs> you know why you shouldn't do that? Because you're not here to worship me. You're here to worship him. <laughs> but sometimes you kind of get the thing backwards. And, and what should be an opportunity of worship becomes an, a moment of defeat. You know what that is? That's them looking in the past. You've got, the excitement, you've got people praising God and singing and, and speaking that which is truth. Listen, Jesus says, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. They had the shout. They had the singing. Boy, the spirit was moving, and they were speaking truth, for God is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And yet there were some people there that were like, yeah, he got that note wrong. Do you guys catch that? Oh, yeah, I tell you what, it's just not like it used to be. Ah. Who brought in that electric violin? You know, kind of throwing everything off there. Who's the guitarist from Africa? Where'd that guy come from? I mean, like, what? And you can't even enjoy what God, what is supposed to be your expression of your faith to your God. You know, some of you come to church, I can see it on your face. You're here, but you're not here. You know why? Your mind's somewhere else. And as long as you make that the focus of your life, do you realize what you're doing? You are putting in the place of God. You're making an idol out of the circumstances of your life. You go, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. I, I don't, but I can tell you this. None of us here are without problems. None of us here are without issues. 
And when you come to church to worship God and your mind and your heart is completely somewhere else, do you know what you've done? You have placed that object in the place of God himself. You are now worshiping. You are consumed with that circumstance. You are consumed with that thing, with that problem, with that person. And God's going, oh, I'm still here. Can I say worship is both personal and public? No, listen, I, I want to be careful. We're all different. I, I'm not trying to dictate the exact method by which you express your joy for the Lord. I, I mean that. Some people will say, amen, hallelujah. I, I've seen some, some old ladies. I mean, I haven't seen it here, but I've seen some old ladies get out of the hand and go. You know, okay. I've I seen some people just go, the tears strolling down their, their cheek, thinking about the goodness of God. I'm not trying to dictate how it's done, but can I say this? At some point in your Christian life, there should be an expression of worship that is genuine and spirit-filled. And in some of you, the reason you can't enjoy church and the reason you don't get out of this experience what you ought to is because your mind is not here. You are thinking about stuff back there. They got there, and they were going to watch God do something supernatural and miraculous by the, by the rebuilding of this temple. And this foundation, as small and insignificant as it might seem, and as the, the enemies of God would point out, this is no big deal. You guys don't know what you're doing. You don't even have the right permits, and the list could go on and on. God said, this is great because I'm doing this, because I'm going to show the entire world that I will keep my word. I will reestablish my people. I will bring them back, and I'll do a great work again. <laughs> And yet there were some people there that just couldn't enjoy it. You know why? Living in the past. You know what worship is? Worship is an act of sacrifice. It's an act of faith. It is. Because I can't see God. And, 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 and sometimes because of what God's doing in my life, I can't even see how this foundation's a good thing. but with eyes of faith, I can see the entire temple rebuilt. And I can see God's work moving forward. George Mueller, a great man of faith, said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where your power ends. Moses gets there to meet with God in Exodus chapter number three, and you know the story. The first thing the Lord tells him, uh, I don't know if it was Miss Florence came to bring us food and the first thing she does she starts taking her shoes off I said no 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 it's okay you can keep them on you say why that's the custom it's custom at home isn't it you, you know you, you say why I don't know I'm, maybe God's a Shemite you know Moses gets there and God says take your shoes off you know what God's really doing there he's saying hey you're approaching a very special place and I want you to come listen to me with nothing impeding. I want you to feel everything. I want you to know what's going on. I want the thing that's between you and, and the sensation that you should get. I don't mean some charismatic thing, but I mean you being able to see what God's doing and actually work in your life. You know what that is? That, that should be something that you feel. Don't misunderstand me. It's not all about feelings. I get this. They were speaking truth, but can I say this every once in a while? Here's what happens. You got people over here like, and they have no truth at all. There's nothing, there's no Bible, there's just, you know, I worship you, I worship you, I worship you, I worship you, I, I worship, I say it again, worship, it's like, what are you doing? I, don't, I have no idea, but it feels good. And then you have some of you people who are like, <clears throat> we sang that song last week. I've read Ezra before, I know what it's about. Why is he so excited about it? And, and you know what the problem is? There, there's nothing wrong. You, you need truth. But can I say this? Every once in a while, there ought to be some genuine excitement. In, yeah. See, here's the problem. You have it. You just have it for a game, or you have it for your job, or you have it for your family, and you don't express it in the area of your life where God would like to see it, and that's the reason why you don't move forward. Right. 
And the Lord cannot get glory out of your life because your mind is somewhere else and your heart is somewhere else. And you know what ends up happening? These people cannot enjoy, listen to me carefully, they cannot appreciate the I am that I am. (laughs) And what what Moses does when he approaches God, the Lord tells him, listen, take your shoes off your feet. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. (laughs) And he said, thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. It wasn't the I was that I was. God, listen, God did great things back here, but God is not dead. Your worship should be real. It should be personal. It is personal. I get it. But it's public. See what I mean? Look, look, look if you would at verse number 13. Look at the end of that verse. The noise was heard afar off. By who? By people. Do you understand the things you're doing in your Christian life? They are being watched by other people. And you're going to have an effect on them. And, and if they see that you're constantly devaluing what God in his word says matters, and they see that you cannot appreciate and embrace the opportunity to express your faith in worship, they will stand in doubt of what it is that you actually believe. You know what the devil wants to do? The devil wants to separate you from the people you should be united with, and he wants you to be joined with the people you should not be joined with. That's the devil's job in your life. And and you know what looking back does? It divides you from the people of God. Okay, look if you would at verse number uh, uh, 12. Look at the end of this verse. All right, it says, They wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. You know what that is? Those are two different responses. You know what you have? You have a lack of unity. You know what Jesus, in his last days, in his last hours, you know what Jesus said? He prayed to the Father that the disciples would be one just as Jesus was with the Father. He prayed for their unity. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to divide us from each other and unite us with things that will not, listen to me, move the work of God forward in this life. He will get you involved in politics, conspiracy theories, uh, work up to your ears to where you don't even think about the work of God. It's kind of like an afterthought. And you just come to church and say, well, it's here. It's always been here. It could be better and different if more of God's people would say, this is mine. I want to be a part of it. I don't just want to be a spectator. Lord, I want you to use me. You know what that means? Lord, I am here. I will intentionally worship. Lord, I will value what you value. And Lord, I'm going to quit looking back because when I do that, all it does is it draws me away from your people. You know, I feel like sometimes, I feel like the ministry is like whack-a-mole. It's like, it's like whack-a-mole. Like a check, anybody know what whack-a-mole is? You know, boom. Okay, we got that one. And then, oh, boom. And then, Boom. And you spend your whole time doing that and nothing's actually getting done. You understand, your life shouldn't be whack-a-mole. At some point as a Christian, you should go beyond. Listen, there's a time, I get it, you're a new babe in Christ, there's gonna be some struggles, some, some, some confrontations, some things that get in the way, but as, a, as, a, as a, a Christian that's been saved for a number of years, there's a point where you go, you know what, I'm tired of playing whack-a-mole, I wanna actually do something that matters with my life for the Lord. Notice if you would in verse one of our chapter, they gather together as one man. You know what God's plan for them was? To bring them all together and for them all to have the same reaction. They didn't. You know why? Because part of them said, it just isn't as good as it used to be. You know what the problem is really? Gratitude. Gratitude. I was in Mexico earlier this year, or last year, excuse me, and uh, the places that people would sit to go to church, they're just happy to have church. We're a little different. Amen. You know, when it gets a little too hot in here, it's like, Pastor, what are we going to do about the HVAC system? <laughs> you know? If, if, if it's an empty night, where did everybody go? If it's too full, I just I can't even breathe right now. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes the Lord just wants us to come and go, thank you. Amen. The part of that group that shouted with a great shout, you know what I think they had? I think they had the ability to give thanks. And the other part didn't. You might remember the story of the ten lepers. And the Lord heals them. 
and nine of them never come back. And there's one that comes back, and boy, he makes a scene. He jumps, he falls down before the Lord, he praises him, he worships him, and thanks you so much for what you did for me. Thank you for cleansing me of my leprosy. I couldn't do this without you. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. And the Lord goes, uh, this is a blessing. Where are the nine? Where's everybody else? You know what will divide a group quicker than anything else? You're, you're, you parents know this. You got some kids like, oh, this is great. And some kids like, I don't want to eat you. And if you're like me, you're like, now you're going to eat two times the portion. That's right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> What's that? You want some more? <laughs> you know what I, I think? You know what will happen, though? It'll, it'll divide your home. You know what God wants? He wants us united, moving this thing forward. He wants your home that way. He wants your marriage that way. He wants your kids that way. He wants your individual walk with God. You know what it starts? It starts with a spirit of gratitude to be able to say, you know what, God, you have been good. Lord, you've been so good, but you are not done, and I believe by faith that you're still working. I'm not talking some kind of you know, hocus-pocus, you know, just, just get your emotions all stirred up. No, 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 I'm talking about truth. Listen, are you breathing right now? A living dog is better than a dead lion. You might go, well, I'm, no one, I'm not like I used to be. I'm not. Listen, God, God has you here right now for a reason. And he does want to work in your life if you would allow that. But you know where it starts? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. You know what ends up happening? Because a part of them look back, there's confusion. God is not the author of confusion. And when the world looks at us, you know what they ought to see? A united front moving in the right direction for Jesus Christ. You know why some people question the church? They don't see that. I don't mean question New Heights. I just mean the church at large. You know why they do that? Because they look and they go, well, you, you know, you got part of your group going this way, you got part of your group going that way, and I can't really tell what you guys are doing. So these things ought not so to be. Our lives should not confuse the world. They should bring clarity to the world. The Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon. Herod heard the fame of Jesus. Belshazzar heard the fame of Daniel. He said, I have even heard of thee. You say, why? Because they're watching. And there ought to be a clear message that we're preaching by our life. Yesterday, Brother Tyler got up, Tyler Campbell, and preached an amazing message. And I'm thankful to hear that somebody got saved. Amen. You know, part of the reason why I think someone had the opportunity to get saved, it was a clear message. There was no beating around the bush. There was no, uh, you know, the... You know, kind of like just out, uh, ask, you know, that's got to be a part of your life. It wasn't like that. It was like, hey, you are a sinner. Sin leads to death and hell. You will go there unless you're willing to cry out and ask God to save you through the finished work of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Unless you're willing to do that, this is your fate. But this could be, that's a clear message. <laughs> and can I say this? Your life should be that way. When they look at our church, it should be that way. There should be no division. There should be no second thought about what's going on. And you know what I'm telling you? I'm telling you this. The devil wants to confuse us and the world that's watching us. There's enough confusion in the world already. As I read Israel yesterday, I thought, you know, that's kind of tragic. That some people saw God's work as kind of trivial, not a big deal. and Yeah, some of them appreciated it, but man... I, I think there's, there's a lesson. I think the lesson is this. Be in the right group. <laughs> be in the group that's shouting when God's working. Amen. Don't be in the group that's weeping when God's working. Because of the past. Come with me to the book of Haggai. We're going to close with finding a book that may be challenging to find. <laughs> you say, well, I don't know where Haggai is. Find someone that looks like they know where it is. <laughs> and look, remember in school when you were taking a test and you didn't know what was going on, you kind of just, just, just do that, just do that. Look, look at Haggai, look if you would at chapter 1. Haggai is a prophet that is sent to preach to the people of God. The foundation has been laid, but the house isn't built yet. And they're kind of dragging their feet. Haggai chapter 1, look if you would at verse 1. The second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, so on and so forth. I, I just want to point out, it's the second year of Darius' reign. It's the sixth month and the first day 
of the month. Look if you would at verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And you know what the Lord does? He refutes that nonsense. He goes, Hey, man, it's time to get going. It's time to work now. I don't know how long we have. I don't know how long I have till I die or the rapture happens, but here's what I know. I'm one day closer to either death or the rapture, and my time to do anything for God is slowly dissipating. I don't want to keep sitting around. I want God to work in my life. The time to do something is now. <laughs> Look, if you would, at verse number five. Therefore, consider your ways, saith the Lord of hosts. Look at verse seven. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's a good thing to do at the end of a service. Look at verse number eight. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build thee what? And I will take what in it? This is what we're here for. Look, if you would, at verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger, the Lord's messenger unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of these men. And man, they're excited. Look at verse number 15. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius's reign, you say what? We're just kind of moving along and learning about what's going on in the timeline here. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, chapter number two. Look at chapter two and verse number one. In the second year of Darius's reign, the seventh month, in the 21st day. Look what it says here. The, the house is still not built, by the way. Look at verse number three. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Okay, now we're catching up to Ezra. Are you seeing what's going on here? Now we're going, okay, which of you saw this house in her first glory? How do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of, of, it, of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Look at the, later on the verse. Be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you. You know why you ought to work? Not just because of what God did before, but because he's with you right now. <laughs> he's with us now. He wants us to go forward for him. Uh, look, if you would, at verse, same chapter, verse number nine. The glory of this latter house shall be what? They would never have thought that possible. But can I say this? When God says something that doesn't make sense, but God says it, shouldn't you believe it? Shouldn't you live by it? Well, it's not as good as it used to be. Well, God can do something great if you'd allow him to. Go to chapter 6 of Ezra. Go back. Go back to Ezra. You say, well, what's going on here? Well, if you remember, it was the second year of Darius when this message came to the people. Ezra. Ezra chapter number 6. It was the second year when they got the message. I'm glad to report they finished the job. It took them some time, but they finished. Can I say this? You may go, well, it took them how long? Well, look what it says in Ezra chapter 6 in verse number 14. The elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they built it. And what are the next two words? The Bible says, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our... You know what God is? He's a finisher. God doesn't leave projects half done. I'm trying to teach my boys, like, hey, if you start something, finish it. I want them to get a hold of that, that character in their lives. Uh, you say, why? Because God wants that for us. He began the good work in you. He's going to perform that side. But in the meantime, there's some things he wants us to be involved in. He wants us to experience. And if you will not, if you refuse to quit looking back, you're going to get lost in that. And you will never get to finish what God wants you to finish in your life. See, how long did it take? Verse 15, this house was finished on the third day of the month, Adar which is in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. It took him four years. Four years for a building project seems to be like a long time. But can I say this? At least they finished. Yeah. If you're saved, God's trying to build something greater in your life than what you've experienced already. This is not a rah, rah, you know, everything's wonderful, things are, no, no, you're going to have problems. <laughs> there going to be obstacles and adversaries. But God wants to do something greater with your life now than, than what you, where you've been. Well, I don't believe that. Okay, keep looking back and miss out. So I'm not, I don't know what it means to be saved. I don't know what it means to be born again. Can I just say this? God wants to take what you feel is just the rubble and ruin of your life and build a new life in Jesus Christ. 
He wants you to experience what it means to be born again. But can I say this? You won't get there by looking back. You get there by looking to Jesus. You won't get there by going, look at all the good stuff I did for you, God. Let me in. Uh Uh-uh. You get there by looking at him going, there's nothing I can do. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. He died for me. He stood in my place. I accept him as my Savior by faith. That's it. You know what that is? That's a look forward. That's not a look back. Christian, where are you looking? Looking back can have detrimental damage to your Christian life and to God's work in your life. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you this afternoon. Thank you so much for the word. I pray it would do something in someone's heart, Lord, that you would work and you would move. And Lord, maybe there's some of your people that are allowing the past to kind of hamper their ability to move forward. Lord, they're kind of hamstrung right now. I just pray that you'd free them from that. Lord, help them to to let go. Easier said than done sometimes, I understand. But Lord, would you help them to let it go? Help them to see that it's a a prison living in the past. Lord, you want them to be free to serve you and Lord, to build something again, to build something greater than that which was in its place to begin. Lord, I pray that you would do that. Lord, in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know what it means to be born again, I pray they'd be saved today. Every head bowed and every eye closed, we call this an invitation because you're invited to come and speak with the Lord. You go, I can do that in my chair. You could. When God touches your heart and says, hey, let's talk about that, it may be a good thing to to move from where you're at. It's kind of what we're talking about, moving ahead for the Lord. Find a place here at the altar. Find a place there in the aisle and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm here. Or would you help me to let go of the past? I want to do something for you today. Lord, I want, to, I want my life to show. I want to get to the end. Lord, I, I, I want to be like Brother Campbell. I want to touch some people's lives for Jesus Christ. I want to make a difference in this world. I don't want to depart, as it talks about a king from the Old Testament, depart without being desired. Lord, I... I I want to leave something here in the lives of men and women whose souls can be touched for eternity. God, would you, would you use me? Let me just say something. God wants to use you. And you may feel like your life is over. You may feel like I've messed up too much. You may feel like I had it my shot and I won't get it again. God's not done with you. You're still breathing. You got to let go. Get united with God's plan. Get united with God's people. Come with a heart to give thanks and to worship Him for what He's done. Value what He's doing right now. Say thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just throw this out there. If you're here and you've never been saved, I know if I were to ask the question, who here is saved, I'd have hands up all over the place. I believe most of you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's a blessing. But if you don't, can I, can I encourage you today to be honest between yourself and the Lord? With every head bowed and every eye closed right now, I'm just going to ask a real simple question. If you're here and you're not saved, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not sure that if you died today, you'd be in heaven, would you at least be honest enough to raise your hand and go, I'm not sure but I'd like to be. If you're here and that's you, I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. But if you're willing to raise your hand, I'd like to at least pray for you. One thing you don't want, if you've never been saved, you, you don't want to allow the thoughts of what people think. See what is that? That's behind you. Look forward to Jesus Christ. You, What matters more is knowing Him as your Savior. Let's sing it out. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left the 
crimson stain he washed it white as snow amen thank you for being here today uh, appreciate it hopefully or gave you something to chew on it'll help you out the rest of the week if you can make it back tonight we encourage you to be here six o'clock uh, and uh, we'll enjoy some dessert fellowship after our service as well um, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer uh, Daniel, if you would dismiss the word. Thanks for coming today, brother. It's glad to meet another member of the family. Met your parents, or met your, I met your dad before, but met your mom. She's a saint. I mean, the more I get to know you guys, she's a saint. <laughs> but if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer, I appreciate it.